We both agreed on something, the players and the coaches. We came to them as men, we talked and told them how we felt, and they responded very well. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore b-ball. I forgot to say that I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com but hopefully you already know that. We're here to talk about Sunday's games, preview week 9 in the NBA and have a look at a busy 11 game slate for Wednesday across the league. Michael Bolton, Let's get to it. To it. Before we get to it, though, a couple of things we do need to talk about. We're also going to address a trade that went down over the weekend, the mess in Chicago. And just a quick note on format of the shows. You would have noticed over the past couple of weeks that I've been introducing these little 10-minute segments that I, that I paste into the show. I record them as separate YouTube videos. There's been top 20 players, top 20 rookies, waiver wire ads, and the buy low, sell high type of situations, which I've entered into the daily show. I feel like it's pushing the daily show a little bit longer. So what I'm doing with those segments now is putting them in their own separate podcast. It'll be about a 15 to 20 minute show that runs with that plus three teams of the fantasy check-in. You can, if you check this feed, you can go and find that. Today I did the waiver wire ads plus a check-in on the Atlanta Hawks, Boston Celtics and Brooklyn Nets. So that's all in one little show. Just a quick, I think it's 17 minutes that show goes for. So it doesn't just extend the full daily show out. So make sure you are subscribing so you get each of those shows each day with those, uh, you know, Waiver wire ads, top 20s, uh, top 20 rookies, and the buy low, sell high, plus some other specials that I'll be throwing in as well. They just won't be on the main regular show. I don't want to you know, bloat that out to a minute, an hour 10, an hour 20, or anything like that. It just goes a little bit too long. So that's uh, what will be happening with those. Let's start, though, where we always do on this show. Monstrous line of the night. It is Drew Holiday of the New Orleans Pelicans. When Anthony Davis went down, he did return to the game uh, tone. Drew Holiday stepped it up. 37 points with six triples, five rebounds, five assists, and three steals on 64% shooting. His efficiency has been absolutely unbelievable this season. He shot 49% last season, and I thought, yeah, might be tough for him to get back to that. Well, he's at 48 for the season. He's at 53 over the last eight games. His shooting is unbelievable at this point. 50, he's hitting the exact percentage of two-pointers as he did last year, and he's only at 30% from three. So he has got scope to really push this thing above 50% for the rest of the season. The free throw is also a little bit annoying at 76%, but that's corrected over the last eight games. He's dishing, dishing a shit ton of assists, almost nine per game, up from the six he had last season. He is the 14th ranked player this season and the number 10 player over the last month. Uh, just unbelievable value from Drew Holiday. Continues to look so impressive you know, with this Pelicans team, who had struggled a little bit at times, but his numbers, and if you invested that second round pick in him in any sort of fantasy situation, you'd be pretty uh, pretty bloody chuffed with the results you are getting from Drew Holiday. So he nabs, I believe, this his being his second monstrous line of the night for the season. And with the way that he's playing at the moment, you'd think that there'd probably be a few more of those coming his way. It has been uh, astonishing that he could take his game to another level from where it was last season, adding in an additional almost three assists per game. Uh, really, really strong stuff from Drew Holidays. He is the monstrous line of the night. Waiver wire line of the night. It is also the young gun of the night. And it is the fort, Kevin Knox 
of the New York Knicks. He did start the second half in this game as Fisdale continued. You're going to be stunned, but he continued to dick around with the minutes. That's, that's as big a surprise to me as it is to you, Fisdale's uh, continual frustrations or our frustrations with him in uh, continuing to move shit around is uh, is continuing and, uh, and won't stop at any point. But Knox had a, a big game here in this one. He played 41 minutes, 26 and 15 with four triples. He had uh, a steal. No blocks, no assist, and was 10 of 25 from the field. So the 26 and 15 is really good. The four triples are really good, but this is the problem that I do have with Knox as a fantasy guy. Inefficiency and a complete lack of peripheral numbers. This looks like a summer league line from him. Um, His numbers this season have not been good. He's outside the top 300 in 21 minutes per game. This is obviously an impressive performance, but still lacking in efficiency and those other peripherals. They're just not there. He averages 1.4 assists per 36, 0.7 steals and 0.6 blocks. And it's what's always going to hold him back, I believe, from being an upper echelon fantasy guy. You could consider adding him in, in 12, 10 leagues. It looks like his numbers and his playing time is uh, is on the way up, especially him starting this game. But of course, you know that you can place exactly zero trust in anything that Fizdale does in terms of rotations, in terms of minutes, in terms of shot distribution, in terms of literally Fizdale staying in the game because he got his ass kicked out of today's game. So very little to um, to rely upon with this team or with Kevin Knox in general. But obviously, you're getting those amount of shots and scoring like that is nice. It would have killed your... Uh, would have killed your old uh, field goal percentage and the lack of those other numbers is always going to be a problem for him. Very similar to the Padawan Colin Sexton who can put up nice scoring numbers, but it doesn't always translate to fantastic fantasy value. Knox will get better in those areas, I believe, as his career goes on. But what's he going to... I think he tops out as maybe a Jabari Parker type of a guy who, who does have those limitations in those other areas, although Jabari was significantly more efficient throughout his uh, you know, heyday or, or prime years before that second ACL in, uh, in Milwaukee. So we'll see how that what that means for Knox. But of course, it is a positive that he was able to do you know, what he did in today's game. So uh, of course, we give him credit for that. Guys, I've got to tell you about today's sponsor, and that is the fine folks over at Pure Tanica. Pure Tanica is a, uh, a company providing fantastic shampoo and conditioners. Their Cool Bliss shampoo is uh, is really invigorating to use on your head. And I love using that term invigorating. It feels like it's only used with hair products, but I don't care because that minty freshness, you know when you put something minty on, you can smell it, but it also feels this tingle on your scalp, which is really refreshing either in the morning to get you energized for a day of work or after a long day of work. Washing your hair with Pure Tanica shampoo and conditioner can really help relax you. It also is helpful for things like uh, scalp dermatitis or dandruff on your hair to help reduce the flakiness of the skin. Also with hair hair thinning, also it is a great way to clean your hair to help condition the hair, keep it nice and uh, and moist as well as preventing those other scalp issues and it just feels good. So it's as, as simple as that. Men and women can use it. I know I, I use it. My, my girlfriend uses it as well. It's been fantastic. So you guys can check it out at puretanica.com. That's pure, T-A-N-I-C-A.com. And if you use the promo code basketball, you can get free US shipping for Pure Tanica Kublis shampoo and conditioner. It's also available at amazon.com. Let's go into the deep leaguer of the night. We're looking at Langston Galloway of the Detroit Pistons, who had a strong game in this one without Reggie Bullock, without Ish Smith, without Stan Johnson. He came off the bench but played 37 minutes, had 24 points, which uh, included four triples, three rebounds, three assists, and two steals. Now, we have to look at the previous couple of games where he did absolutely nothing. He had uh, two real turds in a row 
from Galloway. So this one's a little bit surprising, and I don't think it's anything we need to overreact to. Sorry, to be fair to Galloway, the last game was okay, 12 points. The, the previous three, 8, 0, and 5. He's really just a, a points and threes streamer type of an option while Johnson and Bullock are out. But when both of those blokes come back and Ish Smith, he's just going to be irrelevant. So I think you should be looking at... Um, you should be looking at Lang as more of a, an 18-team league guy. Maybe you take a flyer in a 16-teamer, but it is really just short-term for Langston Galloway. But the roster percentage of just three on Yahoo means that he's available in 20-teamers and 18-teamers, and it's not a bad idea to make that move. But with the Duck Luke Canard back with uh, the Baby Shark Bruce Brown, baby shark, he's getting more minutes as well. It's going to be hard for... It's going to be hard for Galloway to maintain this level of production uh, as we move forward. Mentioned the young gun of the night was already the fox, so let's talk about the dud of the night. I tell a man's not hot. Jonas Valanciunas of the Toronto Raptors. Only the 13 minutes for JV in this one. Six points with five rebounds and literally no other numbers. No threes, assists, steals or blocks. Two of eight from the field. And at least he was two of two from the free throw line. Valanciunas is rostered in a really high percentage of leagues, 87% of leagues on uh, on Yahoo. The last two games, he combined for 50 and 16 against the Nets and against the Sixers today was uh, quite up and down. He is still outside the top 100 over the course of the season. So I don't think he's a must-roster 10-team league guy. I think he is a, a must-roster 12-teamer. But with the way Serge Ibaka's playing, it's hard to consider him a high upside guy. Of course, if Ibaka goes down, then Valanciunas will probably push top 60. But holding on to guys in the hope that someone gets injured is not usually a viable way to go about it. So eight and 10 teamers, I think that's the first time I've ever mentioned an eight team league on this uh, on this podcast. Yeah, I think Valanciunas, you're probably better off streaming that spot or there'll be a better option who's just a, a standalone better player on the wave wire in those real shallow formats. In 12, you'll probably hold on. And he's in that sort of Derek Favors, Marvin Williams type of a guy who provides 12 team value. But yeah, will he ever push into higher numbers? Because uh, it just doesn't appear those minutes for him are going to be consistent enough to provide that top 70, top 80 type of ongoing value. Well, that's at least how I see it for Jonas Valanciunas. The plus-minus goats, Cody Zeller, was a plus 125.8. Uh, he continues to look impressive every game, more impressive every game. I think he is a 12-team league guy. I put him in that uh, Jonas Valanciunas type of a category who can have 12-team value, but upside relatively limited. But he's doing some really good stuff there in Charlotte. While the little dog, Glenn Robinson, was the worst net rating of the day, a negative 123.5. I thought he was a solid option a couple of seasons ago when he was in Indiana, when Paul George left, had an opportunity to take that starting job, had that ankle injury. It appears that that's really ruined him because he is just not good at all anymore. Continues to start for Detroit and play like 10 or 12 minutes a night. He just isn't good at all. And realistically, he's probably not an NBA rotation player, but Dwayne Casey is continuing to start him. We'll see how long that lasts when everyone returns. I think that Canard should be taking those minutes. Johnson should be starting. Uh, and the Baby Shark should be getting some of that playing time as well. So, um, yeah, just not not a good night from Robinson and has not been a very good season at all. The injury reports. Let's, uh, well, injuries, we're going to talk trade here in this one, though, because there was a three-way trade that went down across the weekend. George Hill went to Milwaukee from Cleveland along with Jason Smith from the Wizards. We had Maddie Dallavadova head to Cleveland as well as the Muppet John Henson. 
while Sam Decker went to Washington. There was exchange of picks in this uh, in this deal. Now, I did mention this. I tweeted this out. Not a huge amount change, and for any of these players in this deal, not, not a huge amount happening. This was Milwaukee mainly looking to clear themselves cap space for next offseason. They gave up that first-round pick. Not so George Hill can take away minutes from Bledsoe and Brogdon. In fact, in today's game, Hill was active and ready to go and did not even see the court. So he was, you know, Sterling Brown and Tone Snell would prefer it over Hill. So I think Hill will, will get in and play, but he's going to be more of a 15 to 20 minute guy and not really impacting those other main guys on the, on the Bucks. For those of you who asked if John Henson's going to have a big effect on Larry Nance or Tristan Thompson, Henson's out until March. So no, he's not going to have any real impact on those guys. It's basically just a salary matching situation in order for the Cavs to obtain those assets in terms of uh, in terms of the uh, the trade, getting Daly and Henson back, they're not useful players. Now, Daly slots into the George Hill role. He won't play that many minutes, meaning there are minutes in that backcourt. It solidifies the Padawan Colin Sexton as a 30-plus minute a game guy. We saw Alec Burks start last game. I think, uh, yeah, will that stick or was that because Rocket Rodney Hood was out? Regardless, I think Burks is probably in this trade the biggest winner overall because Daly's not going to play the 26 minutes a night Hill was. He may play 15 to 16, so that's 10 minutes a night to probably go a lot of those toward Burks, who's playing quite well. He's a bit up and down, but a strong performance last time. I think Burks is probably the only 12-team winner that we see in this deal. Jason Smith wasn't in the rotation in Washington. I don't imagine that Slam and Sammy Decker is going to be in the rotation in Washington either, while Smith will go to Milwaukee, and he won't be part of the rotation either. So I don't think that there's that move from the Wizards was more of a cost-cutting move, a tax-saving move. Um, so most of these trades here were were um, cost-cutting moves, were salary-saving moves. Also, it was executed in order for them to be able to be re-aggregated in a trade at the trade deadline. So that's important to note for those guys as well. I think we might get some couple of trades next week with the December 15th deadline to or um, a time frame to be able to trade free agents passing with that report coming out from Woj today that the Lakers are looking to get Trevor Ariza. But no point really speculating too much about that. Someone did ask me with uh, Ariza's with the news of Ariza getting traded and just a shit signing from the Suns. We'll see what they get back in return. Does it really make you know Bridges a stash guy? Well, Bridges is starting and playing thirty minutes alongside Ariza as it is. I think it may be more. You know, looks at Josh Jackson as a stash guy whose minutes should spike from twenty up to twenty seven, twenty eight. Even though he's not that good of a fantasy option, but I think Bridges stays relatively similar. Maybe it helps him with his rebounding numbers and efficiency, pushing up to the three a little bit more. But again, that's just all pure speculation. We've heard of guys getting traded before who don't get traded, so we'll see that. But there is zero chance that Ariza ends this season as a member of the. Phoenix Sun. So that's that information there. I talked about it already. Rocket Rodney Hood with his foot injury. He missed the game across the weekend. We know that he's injury prone. He is just a stream 12-team league guy anyway. But the bigger news here is uh, Paul Millsap with a broken toe. I expect this is going to cost him four to six weeks, meaning guys like Juancho Hernan Gomez, who has been thriving in that small forward role. He is a must-add 12-team league guy. While Trey Lyles was a solid top 100 player last season when Millsap was out, he put up some okay numbers in that first game. Now, of course, he didn't shoot very well, but if the shots had gone in at a decent rate, he would have been a 16-10 and 10 player or 15-10, and 10, which, of course, is really valuable. So both One Show and Lyles are 12-team ads. That is the order that I would prioritize both of those guys. Millsap had been playing really well, but he just can't seem to get out of his own way at the moment with really freaky-type injuries that don't make him injury-prone, just makes him bloody unlucky. So Millsap with that toe injury is out for a while. Brandon Ingram... 
has a sprained ankle, that means that Josh the Hitman Hart is someone to look at in the short term. Ingram's going to miss the next few games. It doesn't appear to be too much of a long-term thing, but uh, he is. Uh, yeah, if you're in a 10-team league, I reckon you could consider dropping Ingram. It would depend who you'd look to add, but he has not been good, and now he's out for a few games. Well, Gaz Harris nice, Gary. in Denver is going to be out for a few weeks, three to four weeks with his hip issue. That's opening up the door for Tory Craig to start, so that's very deep leagues. But you're looking at Monty Morris and Malik Beasley as the 14-team beneficiaries. Now, trying to predict which one of these guys is going to be a 12-team guy is pretty bloody tough because one day it'll be Morris, one day it'll be Beasley. And it really makes both of those guys more 14-team standards rather than 12-team league players. But if Harris is going to miss that time, Craig, Beasley, and uh, and Morris all gain value. And with one show having to play a little bit more at the four as well, with Millsap out, it boosts an extra couple of minutes onto guys like Beasley in particular, who will likely still come off the bench behind Craig, but him and Morris will log most of those minutes in, in preference to uh, Tory Craig. Um, so some, and obviously now with the blue arrow also dealing with a with an issue, a contusion on his leg, he could miss a game or two. He's questionable for Monday. Some very interesting opportunities opening up for guys in Denver. So you know, sixteen teamers. If Malik Beasley and Monty Morris is out there, they're clear ads in my opinion. Um, probably not twelve teamers. I'd prefer one show and Lyles. And then Anthony Davis had to leave today's game with a hip injury, but he did return, so that was good. But of course, we just need to. Um, and we just need to mention that Anthony Davis did leave the game because I'm sure everyone will react really, really uh, normally about that. If you guys have a company and you are looking to find a new way to reach customers, you can be just like the fine folks at Pure Tanica, and you can be mentioned right now. Podcast listeners are 60% more likely to interact with the sponsors they hear on their favorite podcasts. Our demographic is a massive sausage sizzle, 98% male. So if you've got a product that is geared towards males or even geared towards females with males looking to buy them their presents, you could find yourself mentioned right now. Our listeners are more educated, they are higher earning than your traditional media audiences. So have your company sponsor this podcast by emailing me at redrockfantasybasketball at gmail.com. All right, let's move into these games now. There were four of them on Sunday that we're going to talk about. Um, The first one of those is that New Orleans Pelicans game, which I've referenced a couple of times already against the Detroit Pistons. The Pelicans get the victory 116-108 on the road. Timmy Frazier had a nice game, 14 points. Of course, on four or five shooting, that's unrealistic. But what he is a consistent source of is assists. He had eight assists with two steals. And if you need assists, that is 12-team league viable. But he's not a must-roster guy because he's just not producing across the board. Julius Randle made another start, 28-6-5 with two blocks. That is a monster from Randle. goes without saying he's a must-roster guy. While people who do have Nick Miritich were breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief. Now, the first game back from his illness, it was bad. And you thought, oh, man, what have the Pelicans done? Have they just killed his value? Well, there's a couple of things. He played 30 minutes here, had 12-7. and seven. Um, Some of those extra minutes came because Davis was injured, so you might be a bit cautious there. But... Alvin Gentry revealed post-game that he had lost six pounds, which of those of you in every other country in the entire world means about uh, means about three kilos worth of weight due to his illness, and that's a shitload of, of weight to lose over the course of a couple of days. So he would would undoubtedly be feeling lethargic and and not quite himself. So I think that's part of the reason why he played so few minutes and was so not himself over these last couple of games. And I wouldn't be panicking really too much at all. Etwan Moore played only sixteen minutes. He was shithouse. There was no need to be rostering him in 12-team leagues. He was really that guy who was flying high on the back of unsustainable shooting, even for a good shooter like him, and it's fallen off a cliff, and he has uh, fallen off a cliff himself. 
He's coming off the bench as well, and his minutes have been well down as they go to Solomon Hill in that starting lineup. For the Pistons, Griffin had 35-5 and with four triples, a steal, and a block. Well, Drummond, a nice 23-19 and game, a steal, and a block. But man, the efficiency, Jesus, 10 of 23 from the field and 3 of 6 from the line. He is absolutely killing your free throws at this point, and the field goals aren't much better. The Baby Shark did make the start, 7 points with two blocks for Bruce Brown, but not much that we need to look at with him again. Stan Johnson and Reggie Bullock could be back as early as Monday, and uh, yeah, that's going to make him uh, yeah, not really that valuable. Well, it was a shit game from Reggie Jackson. Two points, but had seven assists and two steals. Still a must-roster 12-team league player. While the Duck, Luke Kennard, he played 26 minutes, didn't do too much there, but five rebounds, two assists. He's a name that I'm continually continually going to be watching closely, because I do think that he can be uh, somewhat of a contributor. The Milwaukee Bucks got the victory over the Toronto Raptors, 104-99. Brooke Lopez continues to be very impressive, one of the best late-round picks you could have made. 19 points with five triples, two steals, and a block. After a little bit of a shaky start to the season where he wasn't getting the minutes we hoped, it's been pretty consistent these days. 19-19-6 for Yanni, and again, the free throws. At least he only took three of them, though, two of three from the line, while Brogo had 18 points with three triples in 32 minutes. I mentioned Sterling Brown earlier, who played those minutes over George Hill, 22 of them, 5-7. and seven. He also played them over Pat Connaughton, who had just one steal in five minutes, and Tone Snell had 10 points. Well, Eric Bledsoe just killed your field goal percentage on a Sunday. You hate to see that. Four of 14, nine, two, and five. He ended up with not the best night from Bled, but he'd been uh, relatively strong before this game. On the Raptors, Serge Barker, he'd barely taken threes this season, decided he was going to go ham in this one. Four of 11 from deep for 22 points, four assists, two steals, and two blocks. So made up for that value despite the field goal percentage dropping, which had been keeping him up in the rankings. While Pascal Siakam, he got his field goal percentage back on track after last game, added three blocks, had 17 and seven with two threes. Well, this was an absolute disaster for Kyle Lowry. He has to be hurt. Zero points, five rebounds, and seven assists with one block. He played 34 minutes, but this is just not Kyle Lowry. Now, he was red hot to start the season. He was never going to stick as a top 10 guy. He's also not the guy that's the 122nd ranked player over the last week or 68th over the last month, to be to be honest. In that last month, he's averaging 10 points per game on 35% shooting, including 27% from three. This is a guy that shot 39, 41, and 40 from three the last three seasons. Those numbers are going to come up. He's still getting you nine assists per game. Over a steal, uh, four and a half rebounds, half a block, 88% from the line. That's all still happening. It's just the shot isn't falling. And at some point, it's going to come back. So I believe that he is a prime buy-low candidate, Kyle Lowry. And that's the way that you should be approaching, uh, approaching him in leagues. Van Vliet was strong, 19 points with five triples, while the fun guy, Kawhi Leonard... I'm a fun guy. <laughs> 20 and 8 with four assists, two steals, and two blocks. And can you believe two Raptors had two steals and two blocks, Leonard and Abaka, and neither of them had two triples, so I couldn't play the Richie Benno drop for them. That's unfortunate. Um, not much else happening there with, uh, with Toronto, apart from the guys I have already mentioned. Let's go on to the next game. It's the Utah Jazz and the San Antonio Spurs. Big win for the Spurs, 110-97. Donovan Mitchell started out slowly for the Jazz, but ended with 27 points. It took him 21 shots. But if I'm going to go silver linings here, it's the fact that he got to the line 10 times that's impressive. Hit eight of those, and that's something we talked about with him in the fantasy check-in I did last week. He's saying, I expected his free throw attempts to increase this season, and they haven't. This is a good sign. Not a great game, but that's a good sign. While Derek Favors started... Played 24 minutes, and he also had two steals and two blocks. 
didn't hit the two threes, had only two points with eight rebounds. He is in that Jonas Valanciunas, Cody Zeller type of a situation, a back-end 12-team big man taking on the Taj Gibson role from last season, who is relatively limited upside, but is providing enough. And in Favors' value is coming from those defensive numbers. Jingle and Joe struggled. He had a 5-5-5 five, five, and five line with no uh, no triple numbers. No triple. Well, he had a triple zero, in fact. Not, not a great game from him. While Crowder really stunk. Two points in 19 minutes. You think you should get rid of any uh, indication or any thoughts of Crowder being a 12-team league player. Big game from Ravishing Rick as well. 26-3-2 with three triples for Rubio on 48% shooting. That little cold patch that he was going through has uh, has come together nicely for ravishing Rick Rubio. For the Spurs, DeRozan had 26-6-8 as Derek White made another start. It wasn't White's best performance, but six points, two rebounds, four assists, and three steals, a name that I am really, really watching to see what happens. It, I think he got the start mainly because, well, not mainly, entirely because Dante Cunningham and Davis Bertans were both out for this game, and that pushed Rudy Gay up to the four. But White is definitely a name to watch. Rudy Gay, 23 and 15, massive from him. Now, when the Spurs get pumped, he seems to be the new Danny Green, the guy that gets the blame and gets limited to 15 minutes in a blowout. But when things are rolling, the numbers are there. Aldridge had 20 and 6 with 3 blocks, while Brittany Forbes had 15 points on really good shooting, 75%, an unrealistic number for him to continue to get. The last game of the night was a blowout. It was the Charlotte Hornets beating the New York Knicks 119-107. The, the final score looked closer than it was. It was about a 30-point margin until the end of the game. Kemba had 25-6-6 and six with 4 steals, only played 31 minutes, while Zeller, who I mentioned before, had 12 and 7 in 26 minutes with three steals and a block. And he is putting up some really, really strong numbers. And the minutes are starting to push up for Zeller. Um, you know, looking like a, an interesting ish 12 team guy again. Limited upside with what Cody Zeller brings. And most of his value is on court rather than on the stat sheet. But over the last month, he's the 92nd ranked player. And in his last three games, the 47th in 30 minutes because he's getting 2.3 steals and shooting really, really well. But I could see him being a consistent top 120 sort of a player for the rest of the season. Marvin Williams, 13-5 and five in 27 minutes, continuing his strong run of form. Not a 10-teamer, a borderline 12-team league player, in my opinion. Well, Nick Batum, we've got to talk Batum. He had five assists, but only played 24 minutes, had six and four in 10-team leagues. I think you get rid of him in 12-teamers. It would depend on who I'd be adding off the waiver wire, but yeah, it just doesn't look like it's turning around for him. It's been a real disappointment from Batum. On to the Knicks. I don't know what to do with this team on a daily basis. Timmy Hardaway had 21 with five assists. That's nice. I talked about the fort already. And then Frank Nielkina, who literally was out of the rotation, came back in, played 20 minutes, scored 18 points in one quarter, and then fouled out. That was the third quarter. Um, hit four triples, had no other numbers. It was just a weird, weird performance. I don't know what to make of this for Nielkina. I am not adding him in 10, 12, 14, or even 16 team leagues, but I'm watching this scenario. Noah Vonley with one of the strangest stat lines he'll ever have. Only three points but 10 rebounds and 9 assists with no peripheral, no steals or blocks. His numbers are really inflated by uh, really high three-point percentage, high block rate, high field goal percentage. Wasn't so much the case here, but still managed to find value. He's a borderline 12-teamer as well. Well, Damo Dotson, who went from big minutes to no minutes to big minutes to low minutes, and now he played... What do you play in this one? Now, 31 had 12 points with three assists, but we do have to remember that Alonzo Trier was out of this game, giving some extra minutes that way. 
Hazonia started, he played five minutes and then didn't come back in again. The extreme bogans, as Nate Duncan would call it. Just, uh, yeah, nothing there to see with Hazonia at all. While Mitchie Robinson continues to be the best blocks streamer in the business. Two blocks in 19 minutes for Mitch. While Ennis Cantor, I've got no idea. 18 minutes for Cantor, six and four. Literally will play 40 minutes in the next game, then 20, then 80. Who knows what's going to happen with minutes in this team. There is no way of knowing anything that Fizdale will do. I still think that he is not managing this team well in the slightest. Um, but again, people will disagree with me. Oh, no, but Josh, he's doing the best thing for the team. I humbly and wholeheartedly disagree with that notion. There is just no consistency of role for anything and no continuity of anything that this team does. And it's frustrating for us, but I'm not even talking about it as a fan. I don't, I don't think Fizdale's a bad coach for what he does in fantasy. I think he's a bad coach for what he does for, for uh, the team and for players. But we will see how this pans out over the course of the season. All right, that will... Uh, That'll do it for uh, for that portion of the show as we look back on Sunday's action. Let's look at week nine in the fantasy landscape. I am going to talk Chicago Bulls. I'm going to talk the Bulls when I when I look at them in the DFS preview and the bullshit that's going on there with Chicago for the week ahead. Week nine in uh, in fantasy basketball, the team with the best schedule was really tight between Boston and Dallas. I ended up going with Boston. They play the New Orleans Pelicans, the Washington Wizards, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Detroit Pistons in their four game weeks. So a really strong, uh, you know, high pace against the Pelicans, piss poor against the Hawks and the Wizards, and the Pistons only the real tough matchup there. I could have also had the Mavericks, who have the Magic, the Hawks, the Suns, and the Kings. So some strong matchups for those guys. On the weak side of things, we're looking at the Denver Nuggets, who have a three-game schedule. They play Memphis on Monday, which is a bad fantasy matchup. They don't play again until Friday against the Thunder, which is a bad fantasy matchup. And then they end the week on Sunday against the uh, Toronto Raptors, which is a bad fantasy matchup. Of course, they are dealing with a lot of injuries, so opportunities are going to arise for those guys. But in terms of just overall the, the schedule that they're playing, it's not great for the... Um, it's not great for the Denver Nuggets coming up here in week uh, week nine across the NBA. Let's look at week nine in detail. We've only got three or four game weeks happening. We've got 14 teams that play four games and 16 teams that play three games. And the way those games are, are spread through the week, you've got some real high and low volume games. 11 games Monday, three games Tuesday, 11 on Wednesday, and four games Thursday. And then we end the week with a 9-7-7 Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So our days to really focus on for streaming purposes in daily changes leagues are Tuesday and Thursday, Saturday and Sunday. And you can probably stream in on Friday as well with that nine-game slate. You may be able to, you may not be. But Tuesday, Thursday, clearly. Saturday, Sunday, of course. And then maybe on Friday uh, also with some value. In terms of you know looking to, to stream these uh, these games in, again, Monday, you're not going to have much luck. You're looking for teams that are playing that Tuesday, Thursday pseudo back-to-back. So the Phoenix Suns are one of those. The LA Clippers are one of those. The San Antonio Spurs are one of those, as are the Houston Rockets. And then Thursday, Saturday, another pseudo back-to-back. You've got the Lakers who have got that combo of games. The Clippers also have that. So adding Clippers guys on Tuesday, you get Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, which is obviously a strong, uh, strong run of things. The Spurs the same thing as the Clippers. The Bulls also have a Thursday-Saturday pseudo back-to-back, as do the Orlando Magic and the Houston Rockets. And then that Saturday-Sunday back-to-back to end the week, well, no team has got that, so you can't even make uh, use that to your advantage. 
Now, when we're looking at teams and schedules, it is important to note what teams play on the low-volume days and the differences between a schedule. Like the Celtics have a four-game week, and I said they've got the best schedule because of their opponents, which is great for a weekly changes league. But in a daily changes league, only one of those games comes on a low-volume day, and that's the Saturday against the Pistons. They play Monday, they play Wednesday, they play Friday. So a fringe player who you might have thought to stream in had those games been Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, like Terry Rozier, is probably not going to be useful because you might only be able to activate him on Saturday. So that's pointless. But in a weekly changes league, adding someone like Marcus Morris, you could lock him in for those four games, and that works really well. So that's the difference between a weekly changes and a daily changes league. The Celtics, great for that weekly if someone can fit into what you do. But on a daily changes, will that guy actually be good enough? Yeah, he, he Someone like Marcus Morris will likely be in your 10 best players for the whole week because of how good the schedule is and because he plays four games. But will he be in your best 10 players on Monday when there are 11 games? Maybe, maybe not. Your best 10 guys on Wednesday when there are 11 games? Maybe, maybe not. And then you know, Friday when there are nine games? Yeah, most likely he would be, but maybe, maybe not again. So adding him in daily changes means you might only get one at best two games out of him. Weekly leagues, locking him in, you get the four. It's a big difference. And then the, as comparison, the Lakers, the Suns, the Clippers, they all have four games, but three of them fall on the low volume days. And you can even go down further to look at the San Antonio Spurs and the Houston Rockets, who play three games this week, but all of them are on low volume games, uh, low volume days. Contrast that, the Warriors, they play three games. The Bucks, they play three games, all high volume days. So adding a player from one of those teams, whether it's Georgie Hill or Sterling Brown in a deeper league or Kavon Looney for the Warriors... Are you even going to be able to use them in any sort of sort of daily changes situation? So it is important to have a look uh, at that, at those guys and yeah, how it all fits in because it's not just about purely looking at volume. It, it's league dependent. It's uh, roster dependent. There's so many different factors that uh, that go through that. Some players to look at more for weekly changes leagues who could have some value off your wire and be locked in. We're looking at Wes Matthews, Darren Collison, Marcus Morris, who I touched on already, Kent Bazemore with artists formerly known as Torian Prince out, Thomas Satoransky with Johnny Wall missing uh, Monday's game and potentially more, Jermichael Green, Chetty Osman, Josh the Hitman Hart, and Alec Burks. All of those guys are available in uh, in over 30% of Yahoo leagues, meaning you could potentially go and add them, and they would f- probably fall into the top 100 of your uh, of your league and therefore be rosterable options in weekly changes league. So they are guys to look at. Of course, they go over th- some other waiver wire guys in the waiver wire segment, which you can check out earlier in this feed. Um, and a couple of guys I actually didn't mention that waiver wire video, uh, Bam Adebayo and Wancho Hernan Gomez are some pretty strong ads there as well. All right, that would uh, I believe that would take us through to the DFS portion of this show. The perfect DFS lineup on DraftKings for Sunday involved Kemba Walker, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gay, Serge Ibaka, Brooke Lopez, DeMar DeRozan, The Fort, Kevin Knox, and Cody Zeller for a total of 349.75, and that cost $48,800. And on Fangio, we had Kemba, Timmy Frazier, DeMar DeRozan, Langston Galloway, Rudy Gay, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, Serge Ibaka, The Fort, Kevin Knox, and Andre Drummond for a total of 383.9, and that cost $58,600 dues. 
All right, let's go uh, into these games now. We're going to be looking at DraftKings pricing mainly for today's show. The first game we look at, the Detroit Pistons and the Philadelphia 76. There's a lot of injury scenarios here. Reggie Bullock and Stanley Johnson are both questionable for Detroit. If Smith is out, if Stan and Reg are out, you're looking at more for Langston Galloway, more for the Shark, uh, Bruce Brown. Baby shark, um, and then more value for someone like Reggie Jackson there as well. For Philadelphia, Joel Embiid was initially listed as questionable with a migraine, but he's not on the injury report. So I've upgraded him to probable to play. He did miss last game due to rest, which he didn't seem entirely happy about. Uh, also, Landry Shamet is questionable. If he misses, then Timothy John McConnell, JJ Redick, Furkan Korkmaz all get an increase in value, but probably not enough to really impact an 11-game DFS slate. Let's look at point guards. I like Reggie Jackson on DraftKings. $5,000 is super cheap for him, averaging 25 over the last five. A real turd from him in today's game against the Pelicans. I do think a bounce back will come. While Benny Simmons at 8,500. Jimmy Butler hasn't really impacted him too much. He's still averaging 42 over the last five. He had 52 last game. I think that that's a decent enough price, but... The Pistons have been relatively good at limiting him and point guards in general, so I might leave him just for the tournaments. Galloway's at 3,300, which is a great option, especially given how he played today and the uncertainty of a couple of wings and guards on that team. McConnell's at 3,300, while Galloway's a clear option to me over McConnell there for your tournaments. Shamet and Calderon, no. Uh, on the wings, you've got Redick at 5,500. I love the floor on that. Really strong, solid floor, especially if Shamit is out. 28 points over his last five for JJ, while Bullock at 4,000 is a fade, and Jim Butler down at 7,900. Now, Jim is averaging 50 over his last three. That is obviously really strong. I don't like the matchup. I don't like the salary increase for Butler and Embiid coming back. I think that makes General Soreness a fade here in this game. The Duck Canard is at 30... 30, 3,000, that's not right, $3,000, and the Shark is at 33, so I'll leave those guys alone. Baby Neck Wilson Chandler at 39, he thrived last game without Embiid because it pushed Mike Muscala more to the five. He had 34 points in that one, Baby Neck, so at 3,900, if Embiid is weirdly out, then maybe we look at that, but otherwise, I think you can leave that alone in most cases. Stan Johnson at 4,000 would only be an upside tournament pick. The big man, Embiid's at 98. Averaging 55 the last uh, three games against the Pistons, uh, so I'm happy to go with him. While Drummond at 8,400, had a big game without Embiid, 52 in that game across the weekend, but I think there are better options than the 8,400 you spend there. Much rather take Blake Griffin at 95, who is averaging averaging 68 points against the Sixers the last three times. That is an absolutely astonishing figure. I am, uh, I'm all about Blakey at that sort of a salary. Uh, the tackle box, John Lua had a strong game for Detroit today, but I don't think we need to get overly interested in utilizing him. On Fangio, I like Embiid at 10-4 over there. Again, more, more for tournaments, but still, you can have some value there. Drummond at 9,000 looks not too bad. Galloway at 35 would be super appealing as well, assuming those injuries go down. And the 9,100 for Blake Griffin is pretty bloody hard to ignore. Over on Fangio. Let's go through to the next game. We're looking at the Washington Wizards and the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers are favored by six and a half, and the total is 217. Johnny Wall is listed as doubtful in this game, so he is unlikely to play with those bone spurs on his heel. Uh, that means we'll get Thomas Sataransky starting at point guard. Austin Rivers likely moving into the starting lineup. Also, 
4,300 for Thomas Satoransky. I love that from him. He had 38 points last time that Wall was out. That's that's an absolute no-brainer to me. Well, Austin Rivers at 3,600. He was pretty okay when Wall was out. It wasn't you know, really you know, doing huge amounts, but at that salary, he doesn't really need to. So I think both of those guys have uh, have value. Daz Collison at 66. I think that's too high for Dazza. Actually, I'm looking at Fangio pricing, so scrap all, everything that I said there, although you get some Fangio value. value. Let's go back onto DraftKings now. Sadoransky, 42. Love it. Rivers at 4,000. Value there with him as well. While Collison at 6,900. Giggity. Still too high. I, I like what he's been doing with that Oladipo, but 6,900 for, for Collison is too high. Corey Joseph at 44. He exceeded that value last game, had 33 points, but he is far from a reliable option. Tyreek's doing jack shit this season. He's at 4,700. I have no interest in him apart from a weird tournament lineup. Well, Kelly Oubre at 45 is as inconsistent as they come. He is not a high producer. He would be a tournament type of a player. I love Brad Beal, 8,400. Rock solid consistency. Had 51 average over his last three. Been a bit down against the paces, but with John Wall out, I think he's a 50-point potential player here, which makes him super appealing. While Boyan Bogdanovich is really picking up the pace with Oladipo out. He is at 5,700. But he's like a 29-point-per-game guy, which is fine at that number. He does have 40-point upside. I love the matchup for Boyan. I think he's a relatively strong option here. While Otto Porter also was strong last game without Johnny. He's at 6,100, and I do like that price for him over on DraftKings. The Deuce Young's at 48. Look, he exceeded that value in the last game, had 32 points, but I'm not super into him. Jeff Green. My name is Jeff. No. Um... Power forward, Markeith, or, or power forward centers. We'll look at the big man. Markeith Morris at 5,200. I like the floor for Morris. He's been a bit up and down the last couple, but he's pretty strong. While Thomas Bryant at 3,500. The last game that Johnny Wall didn't play, Bryant put up almost 33 DraftKings points. He is 3,500, very low salary. Tough matchup. Paces have been restricting opposition centers in to a pretty significant degree. But at 3,500, there's no reason that you shouldn't be looking at Bryant, but only... Only really in tournaments. He had five points last game. But as I said, the game that Wall missed, he had 33. So it is a big up and down difference there. Sabonis at 7,300 has been down the last couple of games. I would end up fading him here while Miles Turner at 7,000. I'd feel better about using Turner at 7,000. The high block numbers, the rebounds are up. And uh, an interesting correlation I noticed today when doing the Locked On NBA show is that over the last seven games, Turner has had double-digit rebounds in four of those games. And in every game where he's had double-digit rebounds, he's had at least three blocks. It probably means absolutely nothing. But I thought it was interesting to pick that up with the high rebounds come high blocks. So that makes him a very interesting tournament guy. But also, his, his floor's been pretty okay. So I think he's an interesting guy to take a look at in this matchup against Thomas Bryant and the Wizards. Wow. On to Fangel. Yeah, Sotoransky, Sotorans- Rivers, and, and uh, Porter, I think, are all pretty good value plays over here. Bryant at 37, the same sort of stuff applies there for him. While Miles Turner at 72, I'm probably less interested in him on Fangel, but not by much. And again, if he gets those four or five blocks, that turns into some pretty nice numbers with the three blocks, the three points per block value that Fangio does have. Beal at 87 also looks pretty good without Johnny Wall there in Washington. Next, we look at the New Orleans Pelicans coming off a back-to-back, taking on the Boston Celtics. The Celtics are favored by six and a half points, and the total is 229 and a half. Anthony Davis, I've got there that he's in doubt. He did return to the game, but who knows what's going to happen. I think they may end up listing him uh, with some sort of injury in this game. Al Horford is listed as injured in Boston with left knee soreness. He missed last game, while Aaron Baines also questionable with an ankle sprain that cost him last game, enabling Vanilla Tice to go absolutely bananas. Now, if Horford and Baines are both out in this game, 
Tice would be a great GPP and cash guy. But shit, he's going to get absolutely murdered by Anthony Davis if that is the case. At point guard, Timmy Frazier's at 4,100. He had 34 today. Love that price for Tim. Uh, happy to use him. Well, Drew Holiday at 8,000. Drew is just as rock solid as they come. Love it. Love the matchup. Now, the Celtics are a tough matchup, and he has struggled against them in the past, but it's pretty hard to bet against Drew Holiday with the way that he is playing at the moment. Kyrie at 8,900. Give me Drew over Kyrie pretty comfortably. Save the $900. Kyrie has really lit it up against New Orleans, though, averaging 56 the last three times. The point guards against the Pelicans have been able to go pretty big uh, this season as well. So I think Kyrie at, at 89 is uh, a GPP guy, but not someone I look to for cash. Marcus Smart at 4,300, no. Um, shooting guard, each one more, no. Uh, Jalen Brown, really strong two games back from injury from Jalen, shooting 71% from the field, which is never going to stick. So my level of faith in Jalen at an elevated salary of 5,000 is, as you would say, probably a little bit low. Gordy Hayward at 8,000. Sorry, not 8,000. 5,700. I like that for Hayward. I don't think this will be as much of a blowout as the Celtics game against the Bulls was. So I think he's a 30-point opportunist here. And I like the matchup for Gordo. Solly Hill will be guarding him, but he won't do anything stats-wise. I like the 55 for Marcus Morris as well, who's giving you 25 to 28 most nights, which is okay at that $5,500 price point. Jace Tatum at 69. Giggity! Probably not uh, Probably not too keen on that one. The big man, Julius Randle, impossible to go past what he's doing. 7,100 averaging 46 over the last five. I am in on him in this one. While Tone Davis at 10.9 has put up absolute monster numbers against Boston. 66-point average the last three. The salary at 10.9 is very appealing, of course. He did hurt himself today, so that's, I guess, a level of concern. But yeah, really, how do you not go to Tone, especially in tournament situations? Horford, Miritich, 66 and 6,500 together. I would fade both of those guys here. Well, Tice is the the play, of course, if both Baines and Horford are sidelined in this game for Boston. On Fangela, like Gordy at 6,100. Gordy Hayward, 85 for Kyrie, looks all right. The 52 for Timmy Frazier is not as good as it is on DraftKings, but there's still some value there. Uh, 55 for Marcus Morris is all right. Now, the 9,100 for Drew Holiday is probably approaching a bit too high against the Celtics. That would be my only real issue. And 12-4 for Davis with some uncertainty with his hip is probably one I would um probably one that I would leave alone. Uh, old Tone Davis there on, uh, on Fangio. Let's go on to the next game. We're looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks are 14-point favorites. The total is 223.5. Will Matthew Delavadova be ready for his revenge game? That remains to be seen. Of course, I am taking the piss. At point guard, Eric Bledsoe, this has got blowout written all over it, so really hard to look at a lot of these guys as cash options. Bledsoe at 75 could be a 40-point guy, could be a 20-point guy. Tournaments, maybe. I don't really see the Cavs keeping this close. The only reason I have some level of interest is because the Bucks are on a back-to-back, so that could uh, that could help the Cavs case out. 4,700 for Alec Burks, though, I love. That is really cash lockable to me. I'm not sure whether he will start or not, but I think he's going to get plenty of shots, plenty of minutes. It's all going to come down to whether Rocket Rodney Hood plays. Uh, actually, no, it's not, because I, I like Burks regardless, but if Hood is out, then I love Burks in this matchup. Brogdon's at 6,200. That's too high when I don't know how the, the uh, yeah, how long the starters are actually going to play for. Well, Geordie Clarkson at 48. Yeah, stunk it up last game, Clarko, against the Wizards, but prior to that had been relatively strong, and it is a strong matchup for Clarkson, so he's he's not uh, not someone to completely avoid. The wings, we got Chrissy Middleton at 6,700, has really done well against the Cavs in the past. And some of that's against a good Cavs team, some of it's against whatever this is. 
6,700 for Chris. I think I'd leave him alone. Chetty Osmond's at 43. Just really a tournament sort of a guy. Not anything to get overly excited about. While 11-7 for Yanni Adetokounmpo is uh, is strong. He's averaging 60 the last three against Cleveland. 55 last game. No worries with Yanni. Yeah, strong value in tournaments. Jerron Blossom game at minimum salary. He started last game. Had five points. No, he didn't. Sorry, he had 14 points. Which at 3,000 is not terrible, but I also don't think we need to get too interested there. Tone Snell, Sterling Brown, Rocket Rodney Hood, no interest there. Brookie Lopez, 4,500. I think he's a real lock to get past that value, so I like Brook at that sort of a price. Larry Nance at 46. Came off the bench, but had 37 in 27 minutes last game, which is obviously really impressive. I don't know how we can have any faith in what Larry Drew is going to do to Larry Nance. Larry on Larry Crime is, uh, is tough to predict. I think we should be considering Nance tournaments only uh, for for this stage in the season. While Tristan Thompson is at 7,200. Fair enough, because he dropped 60 against the Wizards. Can, will Brooke Lopez hurt him? I would imagine it's going to get pretty ugly in that in that respect. But Thompson has um, defied my expectations all season. So if you want to go that way, do it. I just I don't think that this is going to work out really all that well in his favor against Brooke Lopez. But, I mean, he, again, he's been remarkably good this season. I like Middleton on Fangio. I like Bledsoe, but there is that risk of the blowout. Yarni at 12-3 is pretty expensive, but you can find enough cheap guys around him to make it work, I believe. Well, Osman at 46 is a nice GPP option, as is Lopez, who I guess has cash value at 5,300 over on Fangio. Let's go into the next game. We're looking at the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Thunder are favored by five and a half points, and the total is 216 points. The Thunder lost their last game to the Bulls, so they probably need to be disbanded after the Bulls' uh, absolutely fantastic performance against Boston. Injury-wise, I think we're pretty okay uh, in this one. Utah's got a a clean slate, and I think Oklahoma City is the same as well. Don Mitchell, 7,000, struggled, obviously, in today's game. But um, worth a GPP look, but that's about it against this Thunder defense, which is one of the best in the NBA. Well, 5,100 for Dennis Schroeder over on DraftKings. He uh, dropped 30 last game in only 27 minutes, which is uh, pretty, pretty good. But I'm not sure I have full faith in Schroeder. That price is the only thing that gives me interest, and it's a $400 price drop for Schroeder, so that gives me something. I love Westbrook here at 1100 oh, Jesus, that's a bad word. At $11,000, um, a good value for him. He's done well against Utah in the past. No problems there. Well, Ravishing Rick Rubio at 63 a massive game from Ravishing today. Can he do it at that price? That just I feel like that takes away a lot of the upside. The shooting guards, we're looking at Jinglin Joe, who is more tournament at this stage because he's inconsistent for this season. Abrines, MC Hamadou Diallo, Terry Ferguson, no. Uh, Jumpin' Jay Crowder, 4,500. Eh, I don't I don't really like that on a back-to-back, probably not. 8,800 for Paulie George. Ingles really does bother him, so I think this is a fade for Paul George, despite that salary looking pretty nice. And then you've got Royce O'Neal, who's not going to make much difference. Jeremy Grant at 4,300. Good category league guy. DFS, he doesn't really produce huge amounts. He could get a 25-point performance here, which is a pretty good result. I'm not super into him, though. Noel at 3,400 is not interesting, while uh, Steve-O Adams at 68. Gobert does neutralize him to some degree, so I think that's a fade, while Adams also neutralizes Gobert. So I think both of these centers, along with Derek Favors, are not real uh, not real strong DFS options. 
On Fangio, I like Russ a lot at 11200 George at 8800 mainly to do with other people's pricing, is a little bit more valuable. But again, Ingles does provide significant issues for Paul George and Adams and Gobert. Probably more fadeable, but... Adams at 7,100, that price tag gives him a bit more appeal on Fangio than what it does over on Fangio, uh, over on DraftKings. Let's go on to the next game. We're looking at the uh, Sacramento Kings and the Chicago Bulls. And let's just talk Chicago for a second because they fired Fred Hoiberg last week and then uh, Jim Boylan came in. Now, I'm not, again, I don't like to write people off. I think he's a terrible coach and he needs to go. He needs to go after the general managers, go Foreman and Paxson. They are absolutely dreadful. And that story that was written uh, on The Athletic about their potential reason for... Was it The Athletic or was it The Sun-Times? Uh, I don't remember which uh, which uh, news source it was. I apologize to the writers involved. You know, saying that the reason that Hoiberg was fired was because he had he stood up for his players to Foreman later on. The players don't like Gar. They don't want him around at, at practices. He was in there trying to draw up plays. Like, get your head out of your ass. What is what is this absolute joke of a franchise doing? How can you be the best franchise in the NBA for years and years in a row and then completely screw it up continuously? On the back of these two dickheads, Foreman and Paxson, no idea. So they fire Hoiberg. Um, oh, you know, it's a culture. It's an energy thing. The players got no culture issue. We, we liked Fred. He was fine. There was no locker room issue whatsoever. And they're all really adamant about that. Even Jim Boylan said the same thing, who you know, replaced him with me and Fred are, uh, are friends. He'd never lost the locker room. Like, Why are they lying about this shit Like when it's clearly going to come out? And then Boylan comes out, tries to do his best Tom Thibodeau impression, screams the shit out of players consistently, and then lies, consistently lies. This is a problem to me, and the players are just going to refute it. In the game against the Celtics, where they lost by almost 60 points... He pulled the starters and didn't. they didn't come back in. None of them played over 20 minutes in that game. And the reason he gave was, I didn't want to put them back in because if I played them, then we wouldn't be able to practice tomorrow and it would be a double loss. That's bullshit. For the start of that is a, just a ludicrous, ludicrous reasoning to, to, pull it, to limit your starters. You're getting your ass kicked, that's fine. But to limit them because you wanted to practice. And then you get to practice and you don't practice. And then you lie about it. Oh, yeah, maybe we're going to just have a meeting and maybe have a bit of a shoot around. That's what the plan was. Well, what, which one was it? Was the plan to pull them out of the game so they could practice hard or so that you could sit on your asses and watch a video? Which one is it? And then the players have a players-only meeting and the coach says, no, there was no players-only meeting. The coach and the players go, well, actually, there was. And then we went to you guys and said it and told you we were having this meeting. And then you came in at the end of it. Like what is going on with this franchise? Go check Casey Johnson's tweets. Uh, go check the the stuff at the athletic. At, at the athletic, um, I think Malika Andrews is the other one on ESPN. It's the complete shit show of the players. Or and you talk about losing the locker room. Boylan's done. Like they have lost it. Now they didn't even put him in as an interim coach. They said, "Oh, you're the coach now for the rest of the season." No hiring process. This is a guy who's been with the team as an assistant coach for three years. I have no idea what this team is doing whatsoever. They are a complete and utter disaster. And I, you know what? I know that they beat the Thunder on the weekend. So Josh, oh, they beat the Thunder. They can't be that bad. They are that bad. They had a win, but you don't lose by 60. But it's not even that. It's not even that. It's the bullshit. It's the lies about their practice and sitting players. You know, we pull him out to not practice and not practice and then not practicing at all. And then saying there was no players only meeting, but the players coming out and saying there was. And about the front office being enabled to hire five different head coaches without having any pressure or anything put onto them by management or by ownership at all. 
the consistent selling of second round draft picks, of not scouting the draft, of not doing anything that needs to be done, there is a complete disaster in Chicago and they will never be successful until those front office guys, and honestly, until Reinsdorf is gone. Just disaster after disaster and Boylan should not be the coach of this team, but he will be and that will keep him there for two years too long and that will continue to ruin this franchise. For DFS, the Kings are... Imagine me going on a a rant about the state of a pathetic franchise in a Kings-Bulls game and not mentioning Sacramento once. There you go. Times have changed. The Kings are two and a half point favorites and the total is 225. What are the Bulls going to do after all this drama? Will they come out? And look, they might come out with a victory in this game. Who knows? It's still a disaster. Chris Dunn is out still with his knee injury while Punch Bob Shiploke, Bobby Portis is questionable. He could make his return, which is going to really put a cramp on the style of Jabari Parker. At the point guard spot, Zach Levine, 7,400. He had 41 against the Kings, the team that signed him to that offer sheet. It's a good opportunity for him. He had only uh, 17 points last game because of that bullshit that Boylan pulled. I've said bullshit a lot, but that's because that's what it is. That uh, that you know, being pulled in that game, that limited him and all the other starters' production. Ryan, Ryan Archer, Jackano at 3,600. Uh, remember when he scored 20 points in a row, two games in a row? That seems like another lifetime. And De'Aaron Fox at 7,600. Load up on your Fox in this one. Really great opportunity for him against a Bulls team that does not know defense from its... uh, You could say it doesn't know its ass from its elbow. It doesn't know anything from anything. The shooting guards, Justin Holiday, 5,300. I think that's strong unless the starters get pulled again, which makes me a little bit cautious with all these guys. Well, Budrick healed at 6,600. Healed averages eight points against his Bulls team. Must have only played them as a member of the Pelicans. He's at 6,600, averaging 32 over the last. So I think that's probably a little bit too high for Bud. While Bogdan Bogdanovich, 31 points last game with Iman Shumpert out for load management. He's at 6,300, Bogdan. Not sure it's the greatest situation for him. There's something there, but this is a, this is a disaster game written all over it, even for DFS purposes. Bielitz is at 4,000. Strong game from him in the last performance. 26 points in that one. I'm not having massive faith in what he can do. While Jabari Parker at 5,800, that's a strong fade from me with the potential of Portis returning. For the big men, I love Marvin Bagley at 4,700. I stress all the time, big men against the Bulls is load up on him. Bagley hasn't been quite the same since coming back from his back injury, but if there's ever a team to play you into form, it is the Chicago Bulls of 2018-19. Wendell Carter Jr. is at 5,000. He has disappointed the last two games, but if you look back two games prior to that, he was a monster next to Lowry Markkinen, so I'm not worried that Markkinen's the issue. I'm worried that Boylan's the issue. Uh, he's a strong GPP guy coming down to $5,000, I believe. Corley Stein at 6,100. Big men against the Bulls. You know what to do. He is your option there, while Costa Kufos still somehow in the rotation. Over on Fangio, I like Carter again for tournaments at 6,000. Levine at 81. I like Lowry at 67. don't really like Lowry that much on DraftKings, while Heald at 6,100 looks a little bit better on DraftKings as opposed to... Sorry, on Fangio as opposed to DraftKings. Corley Stein and Bielitsa, they both have some value in a uh, in a real positive matchup for those guys. Next up, we have the... Who do we have? The Orlando Magic and the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks are favored by five and a half. The total is 211 and a half. The Mavericks are tough at home. So tough. They are 11 and two at home so far this season. I think they've won nine in a row on their home court. Just astonishing numbers. They've only won two on the road, which is astonishing stuff from Dallas so far. Nick Vucevic sprained his ankle last game. He's probable, while Maxi Kleber is questionable for Dallas and Dennis Smith Jr. will be out. We saw the burner Jalen Brunson start last game with Smith out. 
and he's at 3,400. He had 24 points, which is a great return. He hasn't started the other games that Smith has been out, but he played well enough that I think that's an option here against Orlando. So he's worth looking at for sure. While Doncic is at 7,100 on DraftKings, he was magnificent in single-handedly winning that game against the Rockets. 7,100 is still a little bit pricey, so I'm not saying that he's a must-roster guy by any means, while Berea at 48 is more tournament than anything else. I like DJ Augustine as a solid $3,900 cash guy. Give me 22, 23 points. I think that's worthwhile. I think there's a fair bit of value with the shooting guard position. Fournier's at 5,200. Wesley Matthews at 46 and Terry Ross at 48. I think all of those guys can be considered cash plays uh, on this 11-game slate. John Simmons is the opposite of a cash play. And I don't mean GPP. I mean, he is a guy that you just exclude from your player pool. Uh, on the wing, we have got uh, the pencil Harrison Barnes at 6,500. The production hasn't been there for Barnes. He is more of a tournament guy than, than Cash at this point, but I don't feel super confident. While 7,500 for Aaron Gordon, who's averaging 46 points the last three games. The Mavericks have been quite hard to score against for power forward, so that might lead me to uh, to fade Gordon here. While Dorian Finney-Smith at 3,700 with Smith out. He's, he's a 20-point option guy, but the upside is really, really limited with what he can do. Johnny Isaac at 41. The Steels blocks combo make him a GPP guy, but that's really about it. Vooch is at 8,600. Um, is it a little bit high? The production's just dipping enough here for Vucevic. That's why the salary is coming down. Um, I think I think there are better options out there than him, and DeAndre Jordan at 7,500 could be one of them. He's played well against Orlando, a 45 average the last three times. He's giving you 35 a night over his last five encounters in general this season. So I think that he is someone that I'd consider over Vooch. Save my $1,100 to uh, use on another position. Over on Fangio, I like Fournier and Augustine at 58 and 4,700 respectively, while Doncic at 69 is a much better play on Fangio than he is on DraftKings. Terry Ross at 55 also comes in strong, and the 58 for the pencil Harrison Barnes looks much better on Fangio than what it does on DraftKings. Let's go to the next game. We're looking at the Memphis Grizzlies and the Denver Nuggets, the only game on the slate that doesn't have a spread or total at this point. We know that um, Gary Harris, we know that Paul Millsap is out for Denver, while Jamal Murray, the Blue Arrow, he is questionable with that shin contusion that he suffered last game. For Memphis, Joachim Noah, Mike Conley, and Garrett Temple are all listed as probable. Monty Morris is at 3,600. He had 33 points last game. Harris is out. Murray could be gone. It's a great, great cash play. It's a fantastic GPP play, though while Kyle Anderson at 4,200. Wasn't that good in Memphis's last game, but at 4,200, I really like him. The salary between, difference between him on FanDuel and DraftKings is pretty stark. Blue Arrow at 7,200. Well, if he plays, I'm happy to go back to that well. That's a $600 price drop for Murray on the back of a 15-point performance across the weekend where he was hobbled with that shin injury. Well, 8,100 for Mike Conley. I think that's probably pushing just a little bit high for, for Mick in this one, given how well everyone else seems to be priced. I'm not certain that's interesting for him. Malik Beasley at 3,500, much like Monty Morris. I'm all about Malik in this game, who uh, who dropped 26 last game against the Hawks. Um, probably a little bit more uncertain about his floor as opposed to where I am with Monty Morris. Wayne Selden being out of the rotation for the Grizzlies. He dropped an absolute monster last game. I don't know where that came from, and I wouldn't be really relying upon it. Whereas the guy that I think is almost the play of the day, Trey Lyles at 3,700 on DraftKings, that is super hard to go past. He had 29 points last game and didn't shoot well. I think if you don't have him in a cash lineup, you're pretty much going to lose. He is going to be rostered in like 75, 80% of DFS lineups. That's a huge, huge, uh, huge potential. And one show at 4,700, 
I really like that. That's a strong cash play too, but nowhere near as exciting as what that 3,700 is for Trey Lyles. Jermichael Green at 4,400. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. didn't get in foul trouble last game, so he had 12 points. That is the concern with Jermichael, GPP guy, but that's it. And don't combine him with Jaron in a GPP. Well, Jackson at 5,900. Coming down nicely, had 40 points against the Nuggets earlier this season. I think that's a really, really good GPP guy, but that's about it. For the centers, Nikola Jokic. Pretty good. Pretty, 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 pretty good. I'm all in on Jokic. 9,300. He had 53 against the Hawks. No Millsap, no Harris. He's going to be forced to take a larger offensive role. He's going to be dishing the shit out of the ball. He is, uh, he's in 9,300. All about using Jokic. Plumley at 3,900. I actually don't hate that. I think we'll see a bit more Plumley Jokic combination in that front court. So at that sub 4,000 price point, it's fine. While Marcus Sol at 8,300 is a little bit too highly priced now that Joakim Noah is in town, just taking those extra couple of minutes off the top. For Fangel, I love Jokic. I love Lyles at 56. Not as much as I do on DraftKings, but I still like him. Kyle Anderson at 56 is, is looking okay as well. While 7,600 for the Blue Arrow, if he happens to go, is worthwhile. Now, the other value guys like Wancho, like Monty Morris, like Malik Beasley, their salaries are all inflated over on Fangio. My pick of the bunch there is probably Morris, but they're by no means the lock type of players they are on DraftKings. Let's go through to the next game. It is the LA Clippers and the Phoenix Suns. The Clippers are 11-point favorites, and the total is 220. DeAndre Ayton is ill again. I'm not sure if he's suffering from a, from a, a boo-boo in his tummy or if he's got a bit of a snotty nose. Um He's ill at this point. TJ Warren was originally said to be playing this game, but now it's been changed to him being questionable. So we'll see what happens there. Well, Devin Booker is still out. Shea Gildress-Alexander at 5,000. He had 34 against the Suns earlier this season. It's against the Suns, man. Let's go with Shea Gildress-Alexander. Let's see if the Suns can score more than nine points in the first quarter. They did it last game, so congratulations to them. Paddy Beverly at 36 28 points last game. He's an upside GPP guy, mainly just because of the opponent here. While Lou Williams at 5,500, I also think that's pretty strong. Um, De'Anthony Melton or Ali Okobo for the Phoenix Suns. Okobo's at 4,100. He had 20 last game. But he, his best game for the season was against this team where he had 34 points in 32 minutes. So he is a GPP guy. That's about it. While Melton is a uh, shooting guard listed player, I feel better about his floor. He's at 4,600. He's worth looking at as well. Avery Bradley at 39. Eh, I think I'll leave that alone. Troy Daniels dropped 26 last game. His minutes have been up. And if TJ Warren is out, I think 3,400 for Troy Daniels is absolutely worth a look in GPPs. McCall Bridges at 38, actually playing all right. 22 average over the last three, which at 3,800 works. Um, is he a high priority type of guy? Probably not. But if TJ Warren is out, I'd, I'd look to him. If TJ Warren is in, I'd probably end up fading McCall here. Toby Harris at 7,700, I think is strong for cash. The Rooster, Danila Gallinari at 6,800, also strong for cash. While Trevor Ariza is the opposite of strong. He's at 4,900, and I don't really have too much faith in Trev at all. TJ Warren at 6,000, coming back from the ankle, I don't really look to him. While Josh Jackson at 5,400 is only an option if Warren sits out. At center, Aiton's at 6,300. I think he could be an interesting tournament guy if he plays because people would fade him. Rashawn Holmes at 4,000 would become a lock alongside Trey Lyles if Aiton happens to be out. Well, I don't know what's going to happen with the Clippers. Boban started last game, but that doesn't mean he'll start this one. Uh, Montrez Harrell's value has been dipping. He's at 6,700. He's averaging just 28 over the last five. Not super keen, although... Centers against the Suns is almost as good as centers against the Bulls. 6,700 for Harrell 
is is okay, but I don't I don't really feel like trusting at a hundred percent. And Boban and Gortat, if Boban starts, maybe. But again, I, yeah. Look, if Boban starts, yes. Sorry, if Boban starts, yes, we'll go with him. On Fangio, I like the sixty-seven for Harold there. That works for me. Eight and at sixty-six also works. Shea at fifty-three hundred and Melton at fifty-one. There's something there for those guys, but I'm not really feeling super confident uh, in in either of those uh, young guards. The Minnesota Timberwolves and the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors are favored by 10.5 points. The total is 226 in this game. Draymond Green is back in action, while Robert Covington is listed as probable, so he should be ready to go after missing a game across the weekend. At point guard, Derek Rose at 5,500. He dropped 42 without Covington. So with Covington back, I think we can look at his numbers reducing. But I still at 55. I think there's value in Derek Rose at that sort of a salary. And also Jeff Teague. My name is Jeff. He's at 5,900. I really like Teague at that sort of a salary. I think it's a strong floor. Steph at 9,900. He does very, very well against this team. Love Steph Curry at 9,900. Livingston Jones, Cook, no, no, no. Andy Wiggins, 5,900. 35, uh, 35 points in the last three. Looks to be getting it a little bit back on track. I still wouldn't want to trust him, especially in this matchup against the Warriors. But he does okay against Golden State. I think he's a 40-point a upside tournament player. Igadala, no. Clay Thompson at 6,800, probably not. That's just a little bit too high for my liking there as well. On the wing, Durant's at 10-1. Yeah, not really. Not happening for me at that this at this point with the way that he is playing. While Covington at 6,000, I'm all about that. His lowest score is 32 points over the last five, which is smashing value at 6,000. Love Covington here. Happy to lock him in in cash as well. And then the big men, Kavon Looney at 41, solid, solid cash play. And Townsie's at 92. He has done very well against Golden State as well. One of the few centers who can be consistently successful against the Warriors. Happy to use him as well. Taj, Draymond, uh, no, no. And Sharic also a no as well. On uh, on Fangio, I like Looney. I like Towns. Teague is relatively strong. Durant at 10-3 probably gains an extra level of appeal on Fangio versus what he does on Fangio. Uh, on DraftKings, sorry. And the last game of the night is the Miami Heat and the LA Lakers. The Lakers are six-point favorites. The total is 218. The Heat are dealing with numerous injuries. Hassan Whiteside is out. Goran Dragic missed last game. He should be back. The Duke Wayne Ellington should also be back as well, while Tyler Johnson and Josh Richardson are both dealing with their own issues. Johnson with a hip and Richardson with a shoulder injury. They are both questionable. If they are out, then you look to Justice Winslow uh, as a value option who showed that last game that he can uh, produce in those scenarios. Lonzo Ball's down at 5,200. I'm all about Lonzo at that price. Really, really into using him, especially with the Ingram out. And then Dragic at 6,000, not interested in him at that salary at all. Wade at 5,800. He dropped 47 last game. Strong from him against his uh, against his mate, mate LeBron James. LeBron James. Um, I think 5,800 for Dueno is probably a little bit inflated. But if Tyler Johnson is out, I could see why. Or, and Josh Richardson, I could see you going that direction. The Duke at 4,500 would be GPPs if those guys are both scratched. At small forward, I love Kuzma at 72 and I love LeBron at 10-7. Both look to be in really great spots, especially given the injuries in this game. Stevenson, Corwell, Pope, Magruder, not interested. Oh, I didn't talk about the hitman, Josh Hart. 4,100, love it. Dropped 36 last game. Great opportunity without Ingram there. Really, really into him in this one. Joshy uh, Richardson, if he plays, I'm not certain I'd want to use him against this Lakers defense, which has been pretty impressive. 
The big men, you've got Tyson Chandler, you've got Kelly Olynyk. Yeah, Olynyk at 53, especially if Richardson's out, I'm in on him. Um, but even so, with Whiteside at 5,300 for Kelly Olynyk, I'm pretty interested in using him there. But the big man we want to look at is Bam at 5,800, who feels like a 30-point minimum player, which at that salary is a very, very good return on your investment. On Fangio, uh the hitman, Bam Bam. Probably should have played the Bam Bam Sand. Bam Bam! Bam Bam! Kuzma and LeBron also look pretty strong over on uh, over on Fangel. Uh, and Winslow at 5,400 would become right into play as, as a cash option if Richardson and, to a lesser extent, Tyler Johnson are ruled out. Let's go through the studs and values now on DraftKings. It's... You know who's going to be the stud on nearly all these? Jokic. 9,300 on uh, DraftKings for Jokic. He's my stud, and my value play is uh, Trey Lyles at 3,700. On FanDuel, my stud is Nikola Jokic, and my value is Thomas Sadoransky. On Yahoo, my stud is Nikola Jokic, and the value is Wes Matthews at 11,000. And on Draft Stars, just to change things up, the stud is Nikola Jokic at 16,910, and the value is Thomas Sataransky. That'll do it for today's show. Go check out our sponsor, Pure Tanica. Use the promo code BASKETBALL for free shipping in the US for your Cool Bliss shampoo and conditioner. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball, and follow Locked On Network at Locked On NBA Net. Subscribe, listen, review, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. Give me a thumbs up, leave a comment. You know the way it all goes. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Wendell Carter, Jr.